The views and opinions expressed are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any company. Any content provided should be considered their opinion and are not intended to be interpreted as an endorsement. Today's topic is a look into the life of a scientist solving a problem. Welcome to our Solutions for Nano Analysis podcast brought to you by Bruker Nano Analytics. We look forward to bringing you a new podcast regularly. My name is Cody Morton. I'm a marketing communications specialist at Bruker Nano Analytics and an information enthusiast. If you like to learn from specialists in their field and hear what technologies are solving their problems, you will enjoy this podcast. Every session, we will focus on a different problem that our colleagues face in the lab and in the field. Some of the solutions will be a variation of ideas you may have heard before or even worked with. We will bring you these topics in a new and interesting way and introduce you to updated and thought-provoking results. We will talk about how the problem was dealt with in the past and what we're doing to solve the problem now and perhaps even envision future solutions. Join us as we talk solutions with a variety of scientists and technicians in many different industries in the Solutions for Nano Analysis podcast. Welcome as we talk to our guest, Armin Gross, about TXRF technology and environmental testing. Welcome, Armin. Please tell us what you do at Bruker Nano Analytics. I'm the senior product manager for a technology called TXRF at Bruker Nano in Berlin, Germany. I'm already more than 20 years in this business and I still love to do this job. Very good. I like your enthusiasm. Thanks. <laughs> now, what made you interested in science as a kid? Uh, right from the primary school, I liked mathematics. And when progressing, I was more and more interested in natural sciences, asking questions like, what is nature? How does it work? How is life developing? And what are things made of? In school, I liked specifically physics and chemistry. And in my leisure time, I also started some little investigations. So one day I got a simple light microscope to investigate, for example, insects or leaves. And one Christmas Eve, under the Christmas tree, I found a chemistry kit. And yeah, that was fun to work with this stinking material. And then if you weren't doing the job you have now, what would you be doing? What's your dream job? When I was young, I dreamt of a career as a researcher. But after six years of laboratory work and finishing my PhD thesis, I was somehow saturated and looked for new opportunities to apply my knowledge and experiences. And today I'm the product manager for TXRF at Brucanano in Berlin. TXRF, which is the abbreviation for Total Reflection X-ray Fluorescence Spectrometry, is a modern technology for identifying the elemental composition of any matter. Due to the wide range of applications of our customers, chemistry is a very good base for this job, but it requires more and additional skills, for example, for project management, in economics, marketing, and is therefore an always interesting and satisfying profession. So what is the problem that we're solving today with TXRF? What are we talking about today? 
Today, I would like to introduce you to some new trends in environmental research, new approaches, new regulations, and in which way humans and nature benefit from this. I will give you some insight in selected technologies for analytical chemistry and how these are applied to challenges of preserving water and air quality. Great, thank you. What is the history behind this problem? I mean, uh, as long as humans have been working with nature, we have been destroying it a little by little and causing waste. But beyond that, what are some of the other um, history behind the problem? Yeah, actually, I would like you, uh, to present you two examples of environmental applications. The first one is about new air quality regulations within the EU, the European Union, to improve air quality for the protection of human health. This demands constant measurements of the so-called airborne particulate matter, in short, PM, which is a harmful atmospheric pollutant due to the size and chemistry of the particles. A large fraction of it is anthropogenic. The main sources are industrial processes and production, including energy generation, traffic and transport, consumption and use of products, households, and agriculture. Anthropogenic aerosols contribute to climate change and have been linked to respiratory and cardiovascular diseases, lung cancer, and several other diseases. Generally, the smaller the size, and greater the solubility of the particles, the higher the toxicity through mechanisms of oxidative stress and inflammation prompted by the redox chemistry of these heavy metals. Deposition of metals causes contamination of crops for human and animal consumption. For example, leafy vegetables are particularly vulnerable to arsenic, lead, and mercury. Depending on the source, the global number of fatalities is different, but is considered to be in the range of one to nine million people per year. That's really amazing <clears throat> that it's so high. You wouldn't think that it would be so high, but I, that makes sense that the EU is really trying to get on top of that. What actions are now being driven by the EU? The European Union has developed an extensive body of legislation that establishes health-based standards and objectives for a number of pollutants in the air. The most important metric to monitor particulate air pollution is the total mass of particles per unit volume of air with aerodynamic particle diameters smaller than 10 micrometer or 2.5 micrometer. These fractions are commonly referred to as PM10 and PM2.5, for which ambient limit or target values has been, are established. EU regulations require quantification of the mass concentration of several chemical species in ambient aerosols. And these are measured with standard analytical reference methods. What are the typical chemical elements? So typical chemical species are elemental or organic carbon, selected anions and cations, such as ammonium, nitrates, and sulfates, 
and also toxic elements and heavy metals such as arsenic, cadmium, mercury, lead and nickel. Yeah, for the above mentioned elements measured as content in PM10, the reference methods are sampling onto filters followed by leaching or digestion and atomic spectroscopy methods. For example, atomic absorption spectrometry, AAS, or inductively coupled plasma optical emission spectrometry, mass spectrometry analysis, which is ICP-OES and ICP-MS. For filter samples, the EU data quality objective is 40% relative uncertainty for fixed or indicative measurements and typical lower limits of detection for regulated elements are in the nanogram per cubic meter range. For example, lead 0.5 and cadmium even lower at 0.03. And just for better explanation, the element mass is determined in nanograms on the filters. And while the elements are sampled, the air volume is measured in cubic meters. And at the end, all values are normalized to nanogram per cubic meter. Obviously, the analytical demand is challenging and new approaches for this health relevant topic are needed. That's very interesting. I know in the United States, uh, as well as apparently the EU, the topic of air pollution being a major concern is uh, a very important topic right now. But you mentioned uh, something about water analysis. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, my second example is about contaminant analysis in water. Several highly toxic tin and mercury compounds, that is, for example, tributyltin or methylmercury, are accumulated in bioorganisms. Tributyltin was used as anti-fouling paint. Although it is banned in most countries today, it can remain in sediments for many years. Methylmercury is a metabolic product of mercury and can be enriched in the food chain. A standardized method for the detection of these toxic compounds exists, but the calibration of the analytical devices also requires the use of hazardous standard substances. Obviously, there is a high risk for the laboratory personnel, and at least one case of a deceased researcher is documented. You said that at least one case of a deceased researcher is documented. Hmm. So they even have documentation of someone working with the compound died as a direct result yeah. of working with that compound. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that indicated to people how dangerous this was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were saying, uh, go on about the proof of these compounds. Okay. Yeah, furthermore, the proof of these compounds in natural waters is very complex and the concentrations are often below the limits of detection. Recently, a German project was started to develop an enrichment method using activated surface technologies simulating the natural biota of surface water. It is planned to put these devices, specially designed as sample holder for TXRF instruments, into natural water streams for a defined period. Subsequently, the holders will be analyzed and the toxic elements quantified in relation to the measured water volume which has passed the holders. 
Now, before the TXRF technology, how did people approach this um, before these advancements? How did people approach this problem? In the past, when sensitive analytical methods were not available, threshold values followed a best guess. Only for few compounds, toxicological studies exist. And as a consequence, threshold values often follow limits, which were acceptable for typical production processes and were not based on health effects of such products. How does uh, Bruker TXRF approach the problem now? Yeah, Bruker offers spectrometers using the working principle based on the method of total reflection X-ray fluorescence analysis, in short, TXRF. These systems are using an air-cooled X-ray tube generating an X-ray beam, which is reduced to a narrow energy range by a multi-layer monochromator. The fine beam impinges on a polished sample carrier at a very small angle, typically below 0.1 degrees, and is, like normal light, totally reflected. The characteristic fluorescence of the sample is emitted and measured in an energy dispersive X-ray detector. Due to the short distance to the carrier, the fluorescence yield is very high and the absorption by air is very low. But the main difference between TXRF and conventional XRF spectrometers is the use of monochromatic radiation and total reflection optics, illuminating the sample with a totally reflected beam reduces absorption and, and scattering of the beam in the sample matrix. Resulting benefits include a significantly enhanced fluorescence yield, largely reduced background noise, and consequently much higher sensitivities to elements that occur only in traces. In addition, it is important to know that TXRF spectrometers come factory calibrated and ready to use. Day-to-day quantification of unknown samples therefore only requires the addition of one internal standard element, such as gallium. Due to the thin sample layer, the fluorescence intensity of an element is directly proportional to its concentration in the sample. The quantitative analysis is highly accurate at all concentrations from PBB 2% and requires no further calibration by the user. Last but not least, TXRF allows a direct analysis of liquids, suspensions, or particles. For quantification, just a few simple preparation steps like dilution and homogenization are required. What makes this solution work? Yeah, the first objective of the European Aerosol Project was a proof of concept if an on-site sampling and direct measurement of aerosols by TXRF is possible. During the first part of the project, the direct sampling of aerosols on reflective TXRF carriers was investigated and different quantification approaches tested. Data were compared with results of reference methods like ICPMS and a promising concordance of both technologies was confirmed. The second important finding was the element distribution by particle size. The aerosols were sampled in a so-called impactor, which separates the particles into size fractions. The impactor used 
During these studies contained 13 stages, which allowed the sampling of size fractions from 10 micrometer down to only 30 nanometer. While geogenic elements like calcium, iron, and silicon were enriched in larger size fractions, elements like sulfur were identified in smaller particles below one micrometer. The toxic elements lead and nickel were accumulated in most fractions, but also arsenic and cadmium are typically present in small particles below one micrometer only. During current studies, the impactor design will be optimized for TXOF measurements. The deposition pattern of the particles will be more centered to lower the detection limits for elements appearing in very low levels. Another open question is the reliable quantification and different approaches will be tested. For validation of the results, new reference standard samples are in development. Several European research groups are currently working on such standards and will apply different technologies for qualification. The water project is still at the beginning and different surface treatments of the reflector are tested. In the next step, sampling campaigns at hotspots will be started. Hotspots are areas where a significant amount of the toxic tin and mercury substances will be expected. What makes this TXRF solution better? Yeah, modern spectroscopy technologies provide an outstanding sensitivity for elemental analysis. Ultra-trace concentrations in the parts per trillion range can be detected by ICPMS, but this technology requires a decent amount of sample mass, typically in the milligram range. In contrast to this, TXRF offers detection limits in the parts per billion range for element concentrations, but the required mass lies in the nanogram or picogram range. Actually, detection limits for the deposited mass down to one picogram are possible for certain elements. Therefore, TXRF seems to be an ideal analytical technology for aerosol measurements. Now, before we look at what's on the horizon for this technology, I have a question, and I feel like this question actually has an answer because I've heard conversations on the trade show floor with contacts, customers come up to the booth and talk to the uh, scientists and uh, different people about the TXRF technology. It seems that the TXRF technology can replace some of the technologies people are already familiar with, with some of the testing. Is that correct? Am I remembering correctly? Definitely. It depends very much on the application. And as, as I have said, if um, there's not enough sample, um, available. This is a challenge for certain methods and TXRF, uh, yeah, we have almost no limitation. We can work with the smallest sample amount available. What advancements are on the horizon that will be even better than what we have now? Yeah, although the knowledge about contaminants in air, water and soils has been improved, a continuous and comprehensive monitoring seemed to be impossible. But in the future, analytical networks featuring automatic devices and long-term enrichment procedures will support a better control of contaminations 
and identification of the sources. In addition, developments in artificial intelligence and expert systems will become an integral part of modern analytical chemistry. UL regulations and continuously lower threshold values for certain contaminants will definitely drive technological developments. This is accompanied by the demand for standardized and validated procedures. Great, thank you. Before we talk about the takeaways, is there anything else that you want to mention about the horizon of uh, TXRF technology at Bruker? Are we, are we working on making things bigger and better, smaller and faster? Okay. Can you give us an inside scoop? The issue is I have many ideas. Okay. I have written down many things. I could, uh, let's say, uh, work with the R&D group for many years, continuously. So the S4D star uh, hardware allows other measurement technologies beside TXRF. The hardware is prepared. We are still working on some software features, and then we can apply the S4T star also for material analysis to identify um, diffusion processes of layered systems, for example. And this is yeah coming up soon, and this will open up um, the, our system also for interesting industrial um, research and production processes. Great, thank you. I appreciate that. It's always nice to get a little bit of a, a peek behind the curtain of what, what's on the uh, R&D table. Now, I have an aside. What is the difference between the PicoFox and the T-Star? They're both the same technology to start, right? Mm -hmm. But when I started with Bruker 15 years ago, it was the PicoFox and now it's the T-Star, but both are still available. What's the big difference? Is it just that the PicoFox is much more robust and you can take it into the field? Yeah, the major difference between our two products, the S2 PicoFox and the S4 T-Star um, is not the sensitivity. Here, the instruments are very uh, similar, but uh, with the PicoFox, we use only one excitation energy and with the T-star we use up to three excitation energies. That means for a specific range of elements, on one side the light elements, on the other side some of the very heavy elements like cadmium are better to detect with the T-star with the, the additional uh, excitations. There are other advantages of the new uh, T-star system. One is the higher capacity, you can run more samples in a multi-user mode. The PicoFox is blocked when one user loads the instrument. The TSAR can, can process much more samples applied by many users. And we also introduced some automatic quality control um, features in the instrument. And therefore, the instrument is much, how to say, is, is more suitable for 
for routine and industrial purposes. Armin, thanks so much for your time today. Before we go, what would you recommend a listener do for more information about this technology we were talking about today? Meanwhile, an active and growing TXRF community has been established. The TXRF Workgroup Forum is active on Facebook, LinkedIn, and other social media channels. Online events, training material, and scientific programs are available on dedicated web pages. Details of the ongoing aerosol project can be, can be found at the project webpage at aeromet.com. Currently, a European project has the objective to coordinate the efforts made at the national and transnational level to establish TXRF as a reference technique for reliable elemental analysis of solid and liquid matrices for the purposes of both fast screening and accurate quantitative determination. These objectives will be achieved via the development of a strong TXRF network, building capacity by training, connecting and involving stakeholders. And more details can be found at the project webpage at enforcedtxrf.eu. And of course, more information about the Broker TXRF portfolio can be seen at broker.com slash TXRF. Thank you so much. I'll be sure to have all of this, these links in the show notes as well. So that will be helpful for people that are listening to the podcast via their uh, portable device or at a laptop. They'll be able to search out for more information. Thanks again, Armin. I really appreciate it. Thank you to our speakers today. If you would like more information about today's topic or to submit a topic idea, please email info.bna at You can also check out more information in today's show notes. Join us next time as we look at a new solution with more scientists and technicians in all sorts of industries.